Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, if you've ever had the pleasure, and let's be real, the displeasure, of moving from one house to another, you'll understand what we mean when we call it a universally sucky experience. Whether you pay someone else to do the physical labor or you do it yourself, whether your home and your future home are 15 minutes or 1,500 miles apart, whether it feels more like an ending or like a beginning, there's just no getting around the hassle of it all. The sea of cardboard, those bulky tape guns, all the bubble wrap, Maybe something delicate breaks, despite your best effort. The moving truck ends up in the wrong state. Maybe once you've signed the paperwork, right on cue, a pipe bursts somewhere in your new basement. Or, if you're the kind of person featured on this podcast, the ghostly apparitions you were trying to get away from decide to invite themselves along for the ride. If that last part applies to you, please drop us a line because we have some questions. And if that's not you, well, it is the situation of the main characters of our story today. So, either way, buckle up. As with all stories about moving, this one really starts in the house being left behind. That house was on the edge of Reno, Nevada. In the late 1970s, Nevada's cities were expanding, but their outskirts remained very rural. And if you imagine the whole state as a fear-and-loathing-esque desert hellscape, think again. Reno is functionally the Mountain West. Drive a few minutes out of that brand-new shiny suburb, and you'll easily find yourself at the edge of the wilderness. Cities like Reno cropped up in the mid-19th century, mostly as mining towns. And around that time, as part of that industry development, this particular house was constructed. 
Per the Review Journal, that little cabin-like abode was built in 1860 in Virginia City, just south of Reno. Virginia City was a silver mining boomtown, and its population would peak at around 25,000 residents in the 1870s. But as was the case for many mining towns, the silver ran dry and the residents left in droves in the decades that came after. The house built in 1860 would have been of an impressive size in its time. Four bedrooms, two stories. And according to Unsolved Mysteries, it was initially next to the town's cemetery. Though we don't know anything about the original owners of the house, one has to guess they were affiliated with the cemetery. Maybe a caretaker and perhaps their family. If the house had just been built by the cemetery for its vibes, well, that would be a lot to unpack. In any case, the house, unlike the cemetery's residents, it didn't stay put. Having found itself in something of a ghost town in more ways than one, it was time for a change of scenery. At some point in the late 1920s, the house was moved from Virginia City up to Carson City. According to the Gazette Journal, the house settled onto a rural homestead property on Bob White Lane. We assume that the people at that homestead were connected to the house's owners, if only through sale, but that's not made explicit. For a good hunk of the 20th century, the resettled house sat on the property on Bob White Lane. And then, in 1977, the house was due to be demolished. As we told you, Nevada's cities were changing rapidly and radically around that time. It was only natural that a little house on a big plot of land was considered disposable in the name of progress. But the house was scooped up in the 11th hour by Susan and Jim Kelsey. They were parents with two small children. And, more importantly to the house and our story, they were home renovation enthusiasts. The plan was to buy up this little home, freshen it up, and reap the return on investment a few years down the line. According to the Review Journal, the Kelseys literally moved the house once again. Is it us or is picking up and moving homes a startlingly commonplace thing in Nevada? Anyway, they settled in a suburb of Fish Spring, a small city about 50 miles south of Reno not long after their purchase in late 1977. And, strangers, it was not long after that that the trouble started. You've already heard us mention unsolved mysteries in this episode. Something a bit unusual in our newsy, archivey show, but the episode on this particular incident is notable, in part because there's just not a lot else out there made in the early 1990s to explore, quote, the Kelsey House, this episode of Unsolved Mysteries is chock full of information, only some of which we've been able to cross-reference with newspaper clippings. Now, most outlets reported that each member of the Kelsey household was able to corroborate the strange things that began to unfold. Both parents, Susan and Jim, and both daughters, Jennifer and Dionysus, heard the sounds. Footsteps up and down the stairs, late at night. 
and they heard swishing noises, almost as though someone's clothes were brushing by. Per the Review Journal, the Kelsey's younger child, four-year-old Jennifer, told her parents that sometimes at night, her bed would float above the floor. Once, poor little Jennifer saw two figures at the foot of her bed, a grown man and a little boy. They didn't move or speak. They just stood and watched her. The man ghost was apparently a frequent flyer in the Kelsey house. The family would eventually nickname him Samuel, and often he would appear in the kitchen and in other bedrooms. Now, despite what you might be thinking, the Kelseys were not actually chased out of their home by spirits, as so often seems to happen in these tales. In fact, they seem to have carried on with their renovation project for at least a few more years. And we should say, as an aside, that their work looks beautiful. More modern photographs show that the house's interior was well-preserved, with gothic arches and chandeliers and dark wooden floors. One photo from the Reno Gazette even shows the narrow staircase where the Kelseys would occasionally hear their spirit housemates. This is not to suggest that the family had a fully chill, roommate-type situation with whoever was haunting them. After all, the Kelseys did hire a local psychic named Dan Martin to make contact with whatever was haunting their house. And Dan was, per Unsolved Mysteries, able to speak with Samuel, the most frequent apparition. Now, take this with as many grains of salt as you'd like, but Samuel apparently told Dan that he did not want to harm the Kelseys. In fact, he wanted to protect Jennifer, their four-year-old daughter. That sentiment, while perhaps really sweet for a ghost, didn't seem to make the Kelseys want to stay in the house forever. According to the Nevadan, the Kelseys left six years after moving in and rented the house out while they looked for a buyer. Whether this was because they'd finished their renovation project satisfactorily or had enough of their ghostly housemates is ultimately unclear. Now, we'll continue the Kelsey family story in a moment. Because, for better or for worse, it did not end when they left that house. But the house itself did become home to another family. And they were named the Robinsons. And the Robinsons? Well, they had their own problems not long after moving in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Robinsons arrived in Reno in 1988 and rented the house from the Kelseys. According to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Mona and Steve Robinson had moved there with their five children. Tiffany and Andrew, who were toddlers, Miles, age six, April, age 10, and Garrett, age 11. Now, the Robinsons were not the first to rent the house from the Kelseys. The family said there were a couple who rented between them, but that couple never complained about things in the otherworldly arena. But the Robinsons say that they met the house's paranormal residents shortly after they moved in. Interestingly, the Robinsons' ghostly encounters differ from the Kelseys in two ways. One, for the Robinsons, there were three ghosts who regularly made appearances. Two, and maybe more importantly, these ghosts were angry. Miles Robinson, age six, told Unsolved Mysteries that he had levitated out of his bed one night and that he had been very frightened by it. And the whole family reported hearing voices and other strange noises. Per the Nevadan, those included banging, humming, cries, footsteps, and a swishing noise. Almost like fabric brushing by. Ringing any bells? Mona Robinson told the Review Journal that, maybe a week into their time in the house, she saw, quote, what appeared to be a man in a buckskin jacket. There was a red glow where his head and hands should have been. It was really weird. I'm telling you, my heart started beating real fast. I was so frightened I started to cry. Garrett Robinson, age 11, was once chased out of the house by the disembodied voices of two men and one woman. He told Unsolved Mysteries that once, he left the house and saw the doors opening and closing on their own, and an elderly man smiling from an upstairs window. Dan Martin, local psychic, was once again brought in. According to the Review Journal, the Kelsey's realtor called to let them know that the renters were having, um, issues with the house. And more specifically, with the unearthly inhabitants therein. As Susan Kelsey told the paper, quote, She said, It's not your ghost that's doing this. There are other ghosts in that house. The ghosts were doing things like making loud booming noises so they couldn't sleep at night. I said, oh, great. So, the act of calling Dan the psychic in 
to take another look around the Kelsey house and examine its ghosts? That was basically the Kelsey family's version of, we know a guy. In any case, Dan once again corroborated what the family was reporting. He spoke with, apparently, two man spirits and one woman spirit. Neither of the ghost men were Samuel, the friendlier ghost that the Kelseys reported. And, as Dan told it, these new spirits were not happy that the Kelseys had left the home. For whatever reason, it seems the spirits had grown attached to the previous inhabitants. It probably won't shock you to hear that the Robinsons weren't very happy either. Per the Review Journal, Mona Robinson mentioned her issue to a friend, who in turn told Mona that the Kelseys had apparently had ghosts too. Startled, Mona did some downright excellent One Strange Thing style archival research. She tracked down a local newspaper article about the ghost, and then she got in touch with a reporter. The reporter, it turned out, lived two houses down from the Robinsons. Her name was Linda Monahan, and she told the Review Journal in 1990 of her interaction with Mona. I told her that I had reported about it in the paper a few years ago. I didn't give her the article until she told me what she'd seen and heard first. Then she told me about the knocking noises on the walls, the swishing sounds, and the footsteps. It surprised me. I'd only heard about the Kelsey's ghost. I realized that this was for real, that these people also saw ghosts in that house. With that confirmation, the Robinsons then decided that they'd had just about enough of all of this. They left the home in January of 1990, less than two years after they'd moved in, and we assume that they didn't look back. Would you, after being threatened by three angry ghosts? And we can't imagine the Kelseys had an especially easy time finding tenants. What with the whole unhappy spirit element? They sold the house in 1992, effectively ending what we assume was a very weird, brief, and occasionally paranormal career as landlords. Now, strangers, you might well have been imagining all this time that the Kelties were off enjoying a tranquil new abode elsewhere, while the Robinsons were experiencing all of the unhappiness at their old home. After all, the ghost had stayed in Reno, clearly, and the Kelseys had left town, and left Nevada even. You'd be forgiven for assuming that their lives had settled back into normal territory. After all, they had, for the most part. Except for one strange thing. According to the Kelseys, some things travel with you wherever you go. In fact, there's a photograph that proves that they still weren't alone. Not long after the family left Reno, they also added a new member, a baby named Scotty, born in 1982. For this next part, you'll need to recall those old-fashioned analog film cameras. If you can't recall that because you're too young, Google it. Anyway, those still cameras with film cartridges were the only cameras available to most people at this time. So the Kelsey's photos of newborn Scotty were all taken on film. 
Imagine Susan Kelsey's surprise when, upon opening her envelopes of developed photographs, what she thought, reasonably, were of baby Scotty in the living room, she instead found a number of black prints. And then there was one with the face of a stern-looking man staring straight into the camera. You know what? Actually, you don't really need to imagine Susan's surprise. Because she told the Review Journal, The day I picked up the photos, I could not believe my eyes. The first picture was of a strange-looking man. I told the clerk there must have been a mistake. But as I looked through them, the rest of the photos were of my newborn son. It's when I checked the negatives that I got really scared. There was this strange-looking man on the negative. When I saw it, I started crying and shaking. It was really on film this time. I even went to the photo lab that developed it, and I asked if another picture could have been transposed on it. They said no, it wasn't. Susan told Unsolved Mysteries that she believed the photo was of Samuel, the ghost who'd claimed via psychic to be protecting their family's daughter. And somehow, the family's camera had taken a legitimate photo that was not easily explained away by the poor people working at the film counter. Is this photo, now widely available online, actually of Samuel? It certainly appears to be, furrowed brow and dark eyes and all. But we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that faking this kind of thing is not necessarily unheard of, or even that difficult. Take a listen to any of our episodes on UFO sightings if you'd like some evidence to back that assertion up. That said, Dionysus Kelsey, the family's oldest daughter, maintained in 2017 that the story is true and the negatives are legitimate. She actually decided to leave a comment on the Unsolved Mysteries wiki, reading in part, I'm in possession of the negative taken from my mom's Kodak 100 camera. Mom was taking pictures in the living room of my newborn brother Scotty with stuffed animals. The negative strip's first photo was black, the second, black. The third was the face of Samuel, and the fourth was black. The negative could not be proved or unproved as fake. And that is the thing of it, strangers. There seems to be no proving or unproving the hauntedness of the Kelsey house. Now, when it comes to realtors, they, of course, have told the Nevadan that the ghost seemed to be an unlikely answer to a problem that few people believe is real, and even if believable, don't really seem like enough to cool a hot real estate market. But Nani Higley, a local historian, also told the Nevadan, All I know is, the house seems to have a mind of its own. Just the other day, a friend and I went over there and clipped a small piece of wallpaper from its walls. My friend accidentally cut herself on the paper, and do you know that the paper cuts on her fingertips are still infected? It's really weird. In 1997, the Reno Gazette Journal wrote that the house was still standing, and that its then-renters, a mother and four children, had yet to see or hear any signs of ghosts. There is some mention of a very Nevada fate for the house in both Unsolved Mysteries and the Las Vegas Review-Journal. 
After the Robinsons moved out in January of 1990, the Kelseys had relocated to California and sold the house. There are rumors that the haunted house might have been bought up by a Vegas-based casino corporation sometime thereafter in the early 1990s. But looking at the property records, we see no sign of a casino owning the place in recent history. According to real estate photos, whoever gave the home its most recent renovation appears to have also given it some much-needed TLC, given that the structure will be pushing 200 years old in just a few decades' time. The trees have all grown in, and the exterior trim looks to be a rosy kind of pink. The inside has mostly kept those gothic arches and antique flooring, but much of the plumbing and lighting looks to be brand new. And if there are any ghosts to be seen in these photos, well, they didn't jump out at us. But then again, maybe we're not looking in the right kind of way. Perhaps we need to try our hand with an old-fashioned camera. What do you think? We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers, One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for $2 more a month on Patreon, you'll get even more fun extras. There, you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes a month, two monthly giveaways, blog posts, and a recently launched Discord, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these options and support the show. There's a link in the show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review in your favorite app. It really helps. 